Welcome to the second episode of Under Control. My name's Paul Bartlett, and on today's show, I sit down with Christopher Lindblad, who is a partner and co-founder of the Swedish company, Pelago. Pelago specializes in leadership services, ranging from executive interim management to CEO and board services for several public listed enterprises in Scandinavia. During the show, we will discuss how technology influenced their industry and how security plays a crucial role in client collaboration. Hey, Christopher. Nice having you on the show today. Hi there. Nice to be here. Yeah, good to have you with us today, and thanks for taking the time to join us. Um, so getting underway, uh, what I'd like to ask you is just give me a little bit of background about yourself and your organization, um, and we'll just take it from there. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'm the uh, one of the founding partners of Pelago, which is a Nordic leadership services firm so we're sort of a smaller boutique firm mm-hmm. uh, competing with the large international players within the leadership services segment so basically what we are helping clients with is finding their new ceo or finding their new chairman or or actually assessing and developing their senior executives so making sure our clients have the best possible leadership team on board that's pretty much what we do right okay and how long have you been going well we started this firm three years ago when four of us came from a larger firm so we broke out and uh, tried tried the life as entrepreneurs basically and been uh, privileged to be successful so far good good and uh, do you have some pretty big customers yourself that you're interacting with i mean do you deal with bigger organizations or is it um, mainly mid-sized or small companies. How, how is your business uh, working um, on a day-to-day basis? Well, one, 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 yeah, one could of course think that since we're a smaller firm, I think we're on like ten consultants. We would mo- mostly work with smaller firms, but it actually, not, not, not that's not the way it works. So right. we, we're working with most of the or many of the larger Nordic listed companies, the larger state-owned companies. And we're working with the Swedish government in assessing Ooh. key mm-hmm. leaders to them and so on. So we have a wide range of quite interesting customers. And also, of course, given the development within the private equity sector, I would say maybe 30, 40% of our revenue is triggered by private equity owned companies. Well, that's, that's interesting. So you've got a broad range of uh, experience and interactions um, with, with different customers that you've uh, dealing with different leadership styles for sure. Yeah, I would say it would range from, I mean, I mean, true bureaucratic authorities and governmental agencies to the the smaller startups, as long as they are private equity owned, I would say. So it's a, it's a huge range. Yeah, yeah. And your team's made up of um, basically all consultants or you've got different yeah. specialities um, that you bring to the table for, for the uh, for the customers? Basically, we have we have two two types of consultants. One are the certified psychologists who are right. doing the the senior assessments and and using all the psychology tests and so on, the aptitude test. And then we have persons with background like myself from consultancy. I myself is from a leading sort of law firm, and then we have mm-hmm. the usual usual suspects from the McKinsey's and the Bain and, and so on, and management consultants having moved into our our area. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, as, of course, you know, I've had, this show is a bit about technology and a bit about security and, and various others all mixed together with business. What, what technology do you deploy or do you use um, to support your, your business? Well, I, I, would, I would say over the past five to ten years, we've seen a huge shift from 
you know, quite uh, sort of uh, old fashioned ways of working with mm-hmm. sort of pen and paper and uh, paper CVs and so on. And, and, and I would say we have the whole range of technical supporters. We have everything from our our online cloud-based candidate database, uh, right. which I think is sort of based in England, but we are accessing it from <laughs> from our our comp- cloud-based computers in Sweden. And th- then we, have, I mean, since we have um, we're working so uh, flexible, so our mm-hmm. our our consultants have the technology, so they basically. You know, when, if they work from home or from our office, it's the same technology setup. So I would say it's we have the whole range. But of course, now over the past year or so, we have moved very quickly into a lot of sort of team or Zoom meetings, and we're sending all our contracts, for example, digitally. So we have like the sort of the mm-hmm. online signatures. And since we are working with so sensitive information, I, I would say. One of the biggest leaps we took is, is of sending them securely online because mm-hmm. I have to be honest, looking back maybe five or four or five years ago, we, we, we even we were sending quite sensitive information, you know, just through email, mm-hmm. which of course is not, it's like sending a postcard <laughs> yeah. via, via, via the normal mail, it doesn't work. So we have the whole, whole range of uh, tools, I would say, quite, we've become quite digital, I would say. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned it was like in the last five five years because I still know some of my customers that are just doing that transformation now um, from pen and paper, and sometimes that's down to the actual client themselves who who does who doesn't want to move on. And I think you mentioned before that um, you come from the legal background, and uh, I certainly still deal with some some legal com- customers who are still struggling to move away from pen and paper. Let's say. Um, so how, yeah, yeah. how was the transition for you? Was that quite a simple transition to move across? Was it just a natural progression or was there some kind of, um, let's say some growing pains with, with moving with the technology? How did you find it to adapt with that? That's an interesting question. I think firstly, with, when we founded our firm three year, three and a half mm-hmm. years ago, we decided as founders that we would go you know, digital at once. Right. We would sort of strive for having those kind of solutions. And also, you know, even with things like our invoicing and so on, how, how we yeah. invoice our clients should be totally online. So, of course, we, 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 we increase the speed of that process by making that decision. But then I would, then also, if you, if you look at Stockholm, where we have our headquarters, it, it's, a, it's, it's a true startup scene, a lot right. of innovative tech companies. So our customers, I mean, I would say a large proportion of our customers are either based in Stockholm or in one of the other Nordic uh, capitals. And I, I would say we, we are, have been sort of benefiting from our clients pushing us into right. their expecting more and more. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would say it's, it, it, it's probably different if you work across other kind of geographies, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and and so, so and, and then also since the new generation of leaders are moving into the executive mm-hmm. scene they are expecting faster solutions more online solutions so they just have a different kind of expectations and we need to meet those yeah and i think that's partly to what you do as well isn't it because um you know you're in the executive scene where you're you're coaching leadership you're consulting with leadership yeah. Um, and I suppose one of the things that I, I noticed from your webpage is that 
you you want to move them forward into the as long as technology is moving forward and there was always a few years ago the talk about sustainability and what that needs to be um, considered for in leadership style um, and now I suppose technology is also one of those because we hear so much about digital transformation um, what does that actually mean that digital transformation but I suppose every time a new group of leadership comes through or something moves forward then you need to reposition yourselves or you need to educate um, that kind of uh, that kind of leadership that you engage with. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it, it's correct. Then. And, and you can see a lot of larger clients, they have an internal struggle with the sort of more senior leaders not wanting to adapt. And they have a younger generation yeah. coming up and, you, you, and, and then then there's a, at some point a shift and some of them wins. Usually the younger generation, to yeah. be honest, they, they usually win. Uh, but then... Uh, I think it's if you look at more of the I mean uh, we are working with the with this some governmental agencies they are still I wouldn't say that they are old-fashioned because but they are locked into some regulations in how things should mm -hmm. be done so there we see much more pen and paper much more physical meetings it has to be done sort of in a certain way so I, I think also it depends on the digital transformation is going in different paces depending on the industries i would say because mm -hmm. they have different uh, preconditions yeah understood and, I, and of course we always see that uh, potentially government tends to move you know or lags a little bit behind uh, some of the other areas i wouldn't say in every area um but uh with those kind of organizations is how much effort or approach does it take on your part um to to move or change the mindset of leadership um, with respect to bringing them um, forward into uh, up to date with technology and, uh, and and potentially as you mentioned regulation as well because regulation is always changing and that's another thing that everybody has to adapt to along with GDPR as you mentioned uh, yeah. just a second ago. Yeah, I would say it's an um, interesting thing that when we let's take for example, I mean the fact that we are we are making extensive assessments of different executives and just to mm -hmm. give you an example. We might work with an organization where we are meeting a senior executive for a day or so, making psychological tests and structured interviews. And then maybe we are running 10 reference calls on that person mm -hmm. on the, from a 360 perspective, trying to find out what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses and so on of this person. And then we put this into an extensive report, which we send to the candidate and then provide it also orally, of course. And it, it, it's interesting that for us, it's obvious that we need to, I mean, send that in a sort of secure manner I mm -hmm. mean, from, through some encrypted script or, 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 or so. But we, we actually have some interesting dialogues with clients who still say, you know, you can just send it over. No one will see it. And it's like, and they are still a bit naive when it mm -hmm. comes to what can be, traced online uh, what are the challenges uh, and threats and, and then security yeah. threats so so it's, sometimes we are actually educating our clients and saying to them that you know even though even if you want to have this sent via email we won't do it <laughs> because yes. it's our it's our reputation and we won't put that up for risk sort of yeah, I, I think that's one of the issues is that so people get stuck in so much of a routine and they they're used to email. Um, we see it a lot as well that 
people are just making um, just send it to me an email it's fine to send it into an email or you know we, we send a link out to a customer potentially an encrypted link and they don't want to click on the link because they've been told not to click on the link exactly and it's it gets all kind of lost in translation well, what am i supposed to do and the organization said well we don't want you clicking on links um you shouldn't be open we you know you as a client um or as a customer to your clients don't want to send stuff in email because that's an insecure way um so it's um one of those things which I believe uh, needs to be addressed and sorted out um, going forward. That you know, is email, for example, still relevant from that perspective? That we just throw attachments in there and we send stuff out, especially with the kind of information that you're dealing with, or we really now still have to look um, at another way of doing things. Like GDPR is here now. Um, you're, as you mentioned, something very interesting that your reputation's at stake. So it's important for you when you're dealing with confidential information that you're also delivering that confidential information in a confidential manner, right? Yeah, I would say at the end of the day, at our level, we're, we're selling, of course, our expertise and so mm -hmm. on. But at the end of the day, we're basically selling trust. We're selling that they yeah. can trust us. And they are, clients are expecting us to do the thinking, basically. So we have to be the ones thinking about risks and what kind of risks would it pose to send this via email and not just rely on the client saying yes or no. Because if, I mean, since, as I mentioned earlier in our, in mm -hmm. our conversation, we're, we're, we're quite often recruiting CEOs or CFOs for listed companies and right. in some cases that would consider also insider information so it's a, it's a double risk it's both that it can yes. personal data can leak sensitive data can leak but it can actually also trigger a situation where we have leaked insider information uh, through mm -hmm. our systems and that would be the end of our firm bye bye right. <laughs> we would just have to yeah. pack pack our bags and uh, rebuild under a new name basically uh -huh. uh, so, so there's a lot at risk here, I would say. And then people, my impression is that people start to think about that once it happens. It's, it seems to be hard to sort of imagine <laughs> in advance yes. how large the risks are really. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of what you do as well. As, as we mentioned earlier about leadership is when you're looking mm -hmm. to recruit and, and with candidates yeah. and deal with candidates, is it a situation now where you're looking at them and, and understanding um, you know, from a sustainability perspective, that's one thing. They tick the box on that. There's different leadership technology they understand. But does the modern leader also need to have a perspective now around um, security um, and what that means for an organization, um, especially because we saw GDPR come in um, just over, well, just more than a year ago now. And um, are, you, are you looking for those um, or is it important for organizations to find those security conscious leaders? Is it something that the market looks for that they should already be like that? Or is it very much um, an educational situation that you need to, to bring them up to speed? You need to educate them, um, certainly with the executive uh, selection. Well, well, I would say uh, at sort of the CEO or sort of head of a division level, where it's more like general management positions, mm -hmm. it tr it really comes into the requirement or the candidate profile a lot, in and and then it's called digital skills or you know being right. sort of open for digital solutions and being great at driving digitalization and so on. But it quite rarely moves into 
sort of sub subsections mm-hmm. like you know cybersecurity and so on. So I, I, at this stage, it's more like finding you know digital leaders, and uh, and sometimes that's you know connected to being great at managing an organization through sort of cybersecurity risks and so on. But sometimes I, I'm afraid it's more that you're really open to developing. Uh, sexy apps and so on and mm-hmm. for, the, for the B2C market. Um, so, so no, I, 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 and then I, I probably if I you know continue just reflecting on that, the next generation of leaders are so tech savvy already. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the ones that are perhaps like 35 at this stage and perhaps will yeah. move into their first sort of CEO positions within the next five years or so before they turn 40. They are already I mean, I would say they are sort of, they, they grew up in a world where there are cyber threats, where there are threats to the, their IT systems and so on. And I actually had a, had a client just the, 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 the other day that said yeah. that, you know, hey, Christopher, you know, we have, because I asked, he, he, he's, he's sort of running a plus 10,000 or, or employee organization in the Nordics. And he said, yeah, you know, we had the pandemic. That was a big uh, big crisis but then then of course we had a big it crash here earlier this year and i would say that was 10 times <laughs> tougher than than the pandemic he said right so so so, so it, it has a lot of effect on on the own organizations the whole it security uh, setup mm-hmm. yeah because i think well you know when we talk to to people um in various different kinds of business uh, certainly, small to medium-sized business—not so much medium-sized, but certainly small businesses. Um, Security is not way, always at the forefront of, of what they're doing, even if they're working in a sensitive field like in financial services, or they're working in the legal sector. Um, convenience is still um, topped as number one, so they want APIs, they want to have inter- um, connections, um, and make life a lot easier for themselves. And I think um, what we're seeing at the moment, there's a little bit of pain and gain between. Um, moving over to a more secure system or, or not even necessarily system but it's about a business process um, and changing the way of people working um, and typically when there is a, a, a breach it's down to a group of individuals or an individual sometimes you know with there's, there's uh, ransomware going around there's all sorts of different possibilities that can infiltrate or create uh, a problem security problem for you but I certainly see that um, again that there's sometimes just that ability to be able to change or be able to think security conscious um, and be conscious of the things that you need to, to to adopt or maybe different ways of working and changing um, to make your business a more secure environment. And it's not just dependent on the technology. Um, and I was curious to see where your organization yourselves that do that. And obviously the way that um, some of your customers are trying to move towards that as well. Well, if, if you look at our organization and that, that, that goes actually way back in, in mm-hmm. my, my leadership, we've been focusing a lot on sort of creating because you can have you can have all, all kinds of rules and procedures and, mm-hmm. and, and so on, but at the end of the day, as you say, it's about uh, behaviors and about having sort of automatic behaviors within yourself that you have learned mm-hmm. o- over over time. So actually, if you if you look at when we are onboarding new employees and when we are training them during the first couple of years, uh, we have regular discussions, and I, I'm I'm one of the partners who have 
have those trainings with, with, with new employees when we actually go through different kind of situations that uh, consultants can encounter during a week or so or, or a month when it comes to uh, security issues, how to deal with confidential information, how to, it could be anything from how do you treat your cell phone in, mm -hmm. in public transport? <laughs> how, how do you, if you work outside the office in a cafe, what should you think about? I mean, especially for the younger, younger consultants, you have to, they haven't been around for 20 years. So you have to give them examples of what situation they can end up in. So they have this in their DNA. Because yeah. once a true security breach might be happening, it, it won't look exactly like my example, but at least they're trained in spotting them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so that's what we're aiming for. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say most of our clients are doing the same in either very structured forms or, or when it comes to larger organizations, they have huge, huge structures for you know, with guidelines and policies. And then, mm -hmm. then, then, of course, I'm not sure that everyone is following them, but they have quite high ambitions, at least, when it comes to this, 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 the security of data and security of IT. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just wanted to go touch on um, the GDPR a bit more because that's always yeah. an interesting topic. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, <laughs> it started all that time ago and it, it seems like everyone's, yeah, are you GDPR compliant? Well, um <laughs> You know, there's a certain thing to be in GDPR compliant, or can you make us GDPR compliant? Um, certainly here at Treasurer HQ, we can help you with that, for example. Mm. But um, I think there's still a feeling out there or the impression that I'm getting that people are still not on top of GDPR um, as much as they say that, you know, they're making moves in the right direction. I think there are certain people within organizations that they've got a, a security officer but I think as it spreads across a wider organization, um, that still people are not completely sure of, of what they should be, what would make them GDPR compliant, what, for example, what personal identifiable information is considered to be under GDPR, what is not considered to be under GDPR. So, you know, there's still a bit of confusion out there um, with the regular employees that are working. And I think certainly during the COVID situation now, it's like, what now? <laughs> you know, hey, we were, working, yeah, yeah, we were sure. working in the office, everything was on-prem, and now we're all working remotely. Uh, what challenges uh, does that present? And be interested to get your insight from yourself, um, but also if you've got any insights from either other companies um, that you know of or the market in general that you work within, about um, the challenges that the current situations brought about. I've been around for a while, so I've, I've been following the GDPR development mm -hmm. quite closely. And, uh, and um, I think what we did, which ended up very successfully, but it, it, it took us some time to really sort of uh, land in that conclusion is that I think many companies and firms, they see GDPR as a kind of a burden and uh, uh, something that's imposed on them and they have to, you're using the word, you know, you have to comply with it. So we took the approach when we started Pelago three years ago, when we actually had the opportunity to start on a fresh, with a fresh plate, so to speak, uh, because we didn't have any, you know, existing systems. And we, we started as a greenfield. So it was a startup operation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we say that, hey, let's see, let's see how we can use, see, use the, uh, the structure and the rules of GDPR 
to our benefit. And so, so we say, okay, we have to map our processes and see, you know, when we're using personal data and how we store it. And instead of just see that as a bureaucratic operation that we had to do, we, 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 we integrated that into our business processes. So I would actually mm-hmm. say that our data, and we have seen huge advantages and opportunities having GDPR. It might sound strange, but we have ended up with better data. We have mm-hmm. more ac- accessible data. We know what kind of personal data we have. Uh, our candidates and clients, they can eat much more easily access the, you know, sort of uh, clean data because we are, you know, mm-hmm. regular sort of deleting data, which we shouldn't have on board. So I would say, to put it simply, when we do a CEO search, headhunting for a CEO, or yeah. when we are assessing a senior executive, I mean, we, we, can dis- we can describe that in many fancy words, but we're actually embarking on a big mapping exercise. We're trying to map candidates, map data, and draw conclusions from that. So actually, I would say GDPR has improved our ability to run our services. Then, then of course, there are sort of threats to yeah. also to us. But I would say uh, that, that's one way of, of going about it. But I would say that's not the most typical way uh, thing I hear from our clients. They Most of our clients see it as a burden, mm-hmm. something that's imposed on them. Um, and Christopher, could you just give me an example of where GDPR, like a specific example where it's it's benefited your your business processes or your interactions with um, potential candidates? Well, I can give you uh, at least, I mean, two, two different examples. One is that we went, one, one of the conclusions we, we, we drew when working with a, one of the larger law firms here in Nordic area who helped mm-hmm. us out with the GDPR compliance was that, I mean, how do you make sure that for the candidates we know the best and the candidates that we have followed over the years how do we make sure we have the right consent and and Mm -hmm. the right legal authority to store very uh, all the all all of their information and since we have now built a very sort of an an online system where we can easily update the consent the candidates are giving us and update you know when we when we're requesting additional information from a candidate we know well Actually, it has ended up in a situation where, I mean, the Nordic market is not that large when it comes to senior mm-hmm. executives, which means that the level of quality of the data we have on our, you know, within quotation marks, best candidates are, are even better now. And we know for sure that we can use the information we have because we mm-hmm. have the right consent and so on. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the advantages. A second advantage of the GDPR uh, uh, rules has been that in the past firms like ours used to just you know throwing candidates into the candidate base just you know we might need this name at some point and you would end up with too many basically data which was more like garbage which sort mm-hmm. of made it harder for us to draw the right conclusion so with the GDPR uh, regulations we have to delete data regularly data yeah. that we have not, not the right to have. So it has ended up, uh, we have cleaner data, so to speak. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think when we, we talk GDPR within our organization, it's not, it, it's, I wouldn't say it's a fun topic, but it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not like, it's not, <laughs> it's not a negative topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
But yeah. just the final on 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 the final note there, the the most important thing when it, if we link that to sort of digital solutions, the main reason our consultants think that the way we work with GDPR has improved their life is that we have moved totally online when it comes to asking for uh, candidate consent, updating consent, storing their consent. It's all in the cloud and it's all email based, mm -hmm. which means that they, when they talk to a candidate and they can see that, hey, we don't have the right GDPR consent there. It's just one click and then it goes to the candidate's email. And, and so it's, it's so easy now. So they, they, that's why they like it. I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I just just an idea popped into my head. I was trying to make a comparison there between, yeah. you know, merger and acquisitions in a way, and 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 it's basically if you were creating a data room in the cloud these days, you know, instead of sending CVs backwards and forwards on emails or contracts, or, or vice versa, you've got that space up there securely mm. up there potentially. Um, and I'm being agnostic here. I'm talking about what the technology and cloud technology is available to create that space where you can control different users and accesses that. And it just makes it that much more convenient and much more streamlined, as well as having something which is really useful, I think, for GDPR, which is having a digital trail these days, an audit mm. trail to demonstrate. Would you, do you also see that is it the same way? Yeah, I mean, I'm totally. And, and actually, our lawyers told us quite early on, they said, you know, hey, hey, guys, it will not be the sort of uh, data supervisory authority that will, will knock on your door. The, the thing that will happen that will make you shake is that one of your large clients will knock mm -hmm. on your door and they will, they will say, hey, we need to do an audit on all our larger, larger partners. So, you know, please, within two weeks, you know, fill in these forms and tell us that you're GDPR compliant <laughs> that will make you shake <laughs> yeah so 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 uh, and 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 um, so as I think yeah it's it's, it's um and, and and the solution we 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 decided to go for was that we have actually mapped all our processes in the database that's accessible via pass a link and a mm -hmm. password so we can if if an authority knocks on our door or if a client knocks on our door we'll just give them the uh, the link and the password and they can sort of uh, go on a, go on an excursion and look at you know our processes and the kind of decisions we've made on how how we are complying with gdpr but then to be totally honest i mean I'm, I'm not naive here then of course we we as an organization always have a way to go in fully mm -hmm. implementing i mean it's one thing saying that we are working like this in process a but then we need to make sure that 100% of our employees are yeah. doing that. And that's, that's a continuous journey. I, I, there's no organization out there that can say that they are 100% compliant mm -hmm. when it comes to GDPR behavior. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and how do you, I mean, now we're stuck in very unusual times, um, which yeah. of course have impacted all of us. And it's not a topic we can ignore and, um, and certainly no. from a technology perspective, as you mentioned, you've already been there, but have you had to make any changes um, as well as some of us as well? I mean, you mentioned already that you've got the capability to work from home, but is there anything different about now than what you were doing before? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge, uh, huge change. And, and I think the plans, we, we actually had a, had a 
kickoff in mid-February when we said that 2020 would be the year when Pelago would, you know, take a big giant digital leap. And <laughs> due to the, due to the due to the very very tragic Corona pandemic, mm-hmm. instead of achieving that during 2020, we achieved that mid-March yeah. <laughs> 2020. Uh, so 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 I mean, in when this hit the Nordic area in early March. I would say the first phase was a bit, uh, I mean, c- clients and candidates were unsure of how to behave. So some were moving home very quickly, mm-hmm. some were still at the office. And there were a couple of weeks that where we also, we were sort of, some were sitting at home, some were in the office. But then quite early, sort of from the 10th of March or so on, we decided that we will not sit around waiting for our clients to make up mm-hmm. their mind how they want us to work. So we just decided that we will run Pelago from remotely for mm-hmm. a while. So actually, we moved the whole firm online mid mid March or so, and and have, we have done that now for yeah since then, and 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 and, and basically running all our meetings via Zoom or Teams and being online totally. So we actually moved the whole whole firm online for a quarter or so, and just before the summer break here. We started to move some our employees back into the office and having a schedule mm-hmm. that you know some people work in Tuesdays, some Thursdays, and so mm-hmm. on. So it's a huge change. Yeah, I would say. yeah. And I think uh, also from my own experience here is that so we've got some some colleagues that uh, kind of like the home office and others that, that want to be get back into the office. Um, and it leaves yeah. a big question mark, I think, about going into the future about whether. You know, we need that much office space anymore, or you know, we're going to have people working yeah. um, three days a week in the office, two days a week, um, hot desk in. So a lot of different, I think, things that came up early, uh, which maybe been considered more further, year, you know, more years down the line, are suddenly here at our doorstep and having to make that decision um, uh, because of COVID. Yeah, put it also. I mean, put the perspective also. Yeah. You know what will the modern city look like going mm-hmm. forward? What will the modern modern office look like? And it, it, it's quite interesting questions that I think will take a couple of years before they before we really know where we yeah. end up. And with regards to, uh, I mean, as you mentioned that you moved out everything remotely as well. What about the interactions mm. with your customers and, and candidates? Because obviously they've moved remotely as well. You know, I'm talking to people either on Teams or on Zoom invitations. Um, yeah, um, yeah. And I'll, tell, I'll be honest with you, what I'm finding is that, in fact, people are giving you more time now to speak on Zoom, maybe because they're working from home, <laughs> or I had a really yeah. good conversation the other day with a gentleman in Boston, um, and they find, it seems like they can find a bit more time for you now to be able to sit down and talk to you and, and, and talk about not just the solution, but uh, other things that are going on. Um, and I just found that very interesting. I'm not sure if you're also experiencing that as well. I hope so. Um, but uh, yeah, we, 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 we are experiencing that. And I, I, but we also had a, we, have, we also been sort of reflecting on, because we've been managing quite, quite well during, during these couple of months. And we've been reflecting a bit why, why, why that's have been, why mm-hmm. has it been like that? And I mean, since we are, we've been around for a while and we have, we have, you know, extensive networks. We have a lot of, you know, client relationships that, you know, go 10, 15 years back. Those candidates and clients are more accessible, much more accessible mm-hmm. now, you know, because they're sitting at home in the basement and they, they, mm-hmm. they want to chit chat and so on. But, but it, it will be, 
it will be interesting if this pandemic drags on for let's say another year or so what will happen to more like new relationships and mm -hmm. when you and because that that i personally still find harder to develop that kind of relationship over soon to be honest yeah. I, i think you know there's something there's something about just having a cup of coffee mm -hmm. somewhere meeting live it's hard yeah. to hard, hard to sort of replace yeah Yeah, I, I think uh, I would uh, tend to follow that sentiment as well. Um, and just, so just being conscious of time here, so I, I just want yeah. to get your feelings about um, what direction, you know, what's the future for your organization going in and particularly the market in general? Um, I won't say post-COVID because at this time we, <laughs> we don't know, but um, what's your predictions for the future, either for your, for your own market, for the way that you're working with technology, Do you see that there's potential to constantly evolve um, your businesses and services from using, as you mentioned, you're already fully in the cloud now. Mm. Um, what else do you see on the horizon? Well, well, I see some, some, I would say, key trends that are, that they might come faster or slower due to the pandemic, but they are not triggered by the pandemic. And one, mm -hmm. one within our industry is a quite strong force. And that, that go, that, that is, linked to digitalization and automation and so mm -hmm. on and it, it, it goes back to the fact that if we go back like five years ago our our business has been quite old-fashioned and not using a lot of digital tools and mm -hmm. since we are dealing with so much data to be honest when it comes to uh, ceo's background or mm -hmm. the, the kind of clients we work with we will move quite quickly into more automatic processes where we perhaps, let's say we have a CEO search and the 10 final candidates are, uh, are, are assessed also online through an automatic search where we go through certain aspects of their life just automatically because it's, mm -hmm. being a, it's an automatic process. And mm -hmm. then, of course, you have uh, the, uh, the uh, ability for computers uh, to assess candidates which uh, mm -hmm. i hate to say it but some re research points to the fact that uh, uh, computers are betting at assessing candidates than <laughs> headhunters mm -hmm. uh, let's see how, how, how that goes but it, it's a clear digital trend within our so that's one yeah. very very clear trend the second one is i mean giving the kind of challenges most of our most our organization are facing with You know the, the the climate change. It's the, the it's the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You have you have um, the polarization of our societies and so on. You have you know have you have huge generation shifts in Europe where the older ones are moving into retirement and fewer younger ones needs to support them. You you, you the, the demand for what we call truly truly sustainable leaders are that the demand is greater than ever. So you're having mm -hmm. compassionate long-term visionary leaders who sort of who both can be sort of rational in their decision making but do that with a warm heart that's yeah. uh, that's hard to come across but will be so much more important going forward and then finally at least in europe the demand from our clients that we as a business are not just diverse and inclusive in the way we run our firm but that we really help them in achieving more diverse and inclusive organizations so because that's that's something that we have just seen we we have just seen the tip of the iceberg there mm -hmm. that will come so much faster within the next five years yeah 
Yeah, that's interesting. And I think just to wrap up uh, for the you know the listeners out there, which is the, the the what you've learned over the years of being involved in your business and running your business. What's the, the two biggest tips that you would would give either to maybe those that are already in business that are kind of find themselves in a difficult situation now, where they haven't maybe done a full transition to using cloud technologies. Um, I was always speak to some that are still using on premise. Um, what's the biggest, the two biggest things that have changed your, changed your, your way of working and moved your company forward? The two biggest things that have changed our way of working. That's what you mean. Yes. Yeah. The two, yeah. Yeah. The way of working and or taking your company, you know, forward, um, evolved your company. I, I would say just, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of, a lot of things have been going on over these, mm-hmm. these years, but I, I would, I would say that the first one that has changed our way of working dramatically has been mo- moving from pen and paper, paper mm-hmm. CVs, having assessment in a physical room and moving everything online because that, mm-hmm. that has made us mm-hmm. much more accessible. It has made it ex- more accessible for candidates. It has, I mean, it, it has made a huge, huge difference. And the second one, it's more philosophical uh, change yeah. that has ended up in quite dramatic changes for us and that has been to of course, everyone is talking about being client-centric and mm-hmm. asking the client you know what do they want and so on but we have we ended up in a, in, in a conclusion where we started our firm three years ago that you know our kind of industry is not that big and our clients are not they are specialized in something else so we can't just ask the clients all of the time what they want because they they really mm-hmm. don't know <laughs> so yeah. so so we, 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 we took a different approach and said that, you know, we have to lead the way. We have to tell our clients that this is the way we work or this is the way we, we want to work. How does that fit into your way of working? And that, that has made a dialogue with the clients much, much more concrete and much more, much more uh, dynamic, I would say, because we already ha- we have made up our mind from our side. What do we want to achieve? And then, of mm-hmm. course, we need to be flexible towards the client but instead of just asking these oh so my advice to some people starting up their business that of course you should ask your clients how they want the service and so on but you have to make up your own mind also Mm -hmm. what do you want (laughs) and 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 and, and try to convey that yeah no that's fantastic um christopher it's been fantastic uh insight from uh, learning from your company and from your insights about um you know what pelago is doing and uh, also certainly about you know the situation that uh, we all find ourselves in at the moment. Mm. Um, I wish you all the best, and thanks a lot for joining us on this podcast today. Um, yeah, it was a privilege. Up. Nice talking to you. Appreciate that. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. And that's it for today's episode of Under Control. You can find links to all of our social platforms and to our guests in the episode description. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join us in two weeks' time for the next episode.